Alabama nearly loses it with Bryce Young injured and Jalen Milrow filling in for him. Texas might be back. Quint Ewers looked good today. Tennessee walks through the Death Valley, but they fear no Tigers. And Quentin Johnston goes off. We're going to get to all of that, but this is College Fantasy Tonight, Campus to Canton's recap show of week six. You can join us every single week. If you like this video, go ahead and hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. We're trying to grow this format. We're trying to grow College Fantasy. We're trying to grow C2C. It's free. It'll always be free. Go ahead and hit the like button. Let's get this to 30 likes and subscribe to the channel. If you're tuning in with us for the first time, we start every college fantasy tonight with the rundown. That means that the music should start here. The music should start here. And we are going to get into it. The first, oh, it sounds good. It sounds good. And I'm getting hyped. The first game of the night, Matt Bruning. Matt Bruning, you are our special correspondent. On the night you yeah. are at Texas, Oklahoma, you are a big Quint Ewers fan. Maybe not Texas, yes. but a big Quint Ewers fan, and you had to be happy with his performance today. I was. It was fantastic. If you are not watching live and listening on the podcast, my face is a tad bit sunburnt. Uh, I was uh, outside for a very long time today, uh, but it was an amazing performance. They win forty nine to zero. Um, and I feel like they could have scored even more. Oklahoma is just a bad team right now. But let's start. Actually, you know what? We'll, we'll talk about Oklahoma first because there's really only a little bit to talk about here. The running backs, because that was about all they did. They were running a ton of wildcat in this game because Bevel, their quarterback, could literally not throw the ball more That's than right. five yards. Jaleel Farouk, who is actually a wide receiver, had the most yards on the ground today with 60. Eric Gray, just 59. I, like I said, they were running a ton of wildcat. They had a... Brooks, I think, out there running a running back. He was trying to throw passes. It was just, it was brutal. It reminded me very much of that uh, LSU team last year where they didn't have an eligible quarterback. Davis Belleville, six for for 12, 38 yards, one touchdown. Eric Gray, uh, maybe a day three NFL draft pick, 11 for 59, no touchdowns. Javante Barnes, he's a Debbie asset, probably not starting him. Seven for 24 in this one. He adds two for seven through the air. Yeah, it was it was bad. I, I was really surprised that they did not go to booty or even throw in the freshman. Nick Evers came in at the very end of the game, but he only gave a couple handoffs to close out the game. On Texas' side, though, Quinn, I'll be honest, did not look great when the game started. They looked like they were kind of being cautious with him. There's a lot of handoffs, really quick, short passes. But as the game went on, he started going four touchdowns in this game, including a beautiful pass to Xavier Worthy and Mike's guy. Jatavian Sanders, who is looking like a top tight end. But Quinn Ewers, really quick, 289 through the air, four touchdowns and one interception, a bad, bad interception we can talk about in a minute. As I mentioned, Xavier Worthy does get the touchdown to kind of save his fantasy day. Jordan Winnington was getting open everywhere in the middle of the field. He leads the team with 97 yards. And again, Jatavian Sanders, two touchdowns, 71 yards on five catches. But the best player on Texas carried this team, Bijan Robinson, 130 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. He also had a beautiful catch. I mean, it was absolutely amazing with a beautiful throw, too. If you guys go, I want to say it was second quarter, Quinn Ewers gets pressure, steps up in the pocket, flushed out left, and Bijan beat the linebacker on the sideline, and Quinn just dropped it perfect time, but then. Bijan like went up and plucked it out of the air. It was a beautiful play all around. But I mean, they they looked phenomenal. I think 
It would just be imagine an outstretched Bijan Robinson diving for this ball. He gives you confidence as in the running game. He gives you confidence in the receiving game. And one day when Campus Canton grows up, we will purchase the rights to highlights and we will play them on College was, I I wish I would have had. I have a I have the other highlights on my phone. I guess I could have probably uploaded those and played them because I own those rights. I recorded them. But uh, anyways, it was it was just a beautiful play altogether. I mean, he looked amazing. We, I think we would have a serious discussion right now about them being a playoff team had. They not lost viewers in that Alabama game. He, he's been phenomenal this year, and I cannot wait to see what he does the rest of the season. Uh, 22 for 130 yards, two touchdowns, two receptions uh, for 15 yards, one of one of them being that outstanding catch on third and something. B. John Robinson, there's an argument that he is the RB1 overall in Dynasty, definitely the 101, uh, probably the 101, even in Superflex leagues when we get to April, May, and Dynasty rookie drafts. Matthew, you also had North Carolina, Miami. We yes. got one uh, hot quarterback and one cold. One, that hot quarterback being Drake May. Uh, Miami, ta- or excuse me, North Carolina takes this one 27-24 on the road. Yeah, so this was a really good game, um, which was kind of surprising to me. I thought North Carolina would at some point run away with this. Now, I did tell everybody on Better Sports Friday to take the money line on North Carolina just because I thought they'd pull the upset here. I want to start with Miami because your guy Tyler Van Dyke played a lot better than I expected him to play. I mentioned that I thought he could get benched again for Jake Garcia. There was a lot of talk on the broadcast that they told him this is still his team. You're still our guy. We just kind of pulled you in that game. And he went out there and actually I thought felt played pretty well. Almost 500 yards passing, three touchdowns, did have the one interception at the end of the game to kind of seal it for North Carolina. They told him to trust his receivers more, and he did. Going to your guy, too, Will Mallory, the tight end, a ton. 115 yards on eight receptions. Brashard Smith made a couple big plays, as did Frank Ladson. He was also dumping the ball off a lot to his running backs, who could not get anything going on the ground. Henry Parrish, just 19 yards rushing, but did get 54 yards receiving. And Jalen Knighton, just 13 yards on the ground, 56 yards receiving, though, which was Kind of surprising against a bad North Carolina defense, but that defense came to play, and they slowed down this Miami team. Well, Tyler Van Dyke efficiently probably has his best game under Josh Gaddis, 42 for 57. 57, I had to go back and look at that. 496 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. They're still missing Charleston Rambo and Mike Harley from last season, but Tyler Van Dyke has his best game of this season. On the other hand, Matthew, did Drake May stay hot? He did. Now, he did throw two interceptions in this game, but still had one incredible touchdown to Josh Downs. Um, And I thought looked really good. He made some bad plays in this one and holding on to the ball a little bit too long. Maybe should have just run or gotten rid of the ball, but I feel like that's probably a little bit of him. First-year starter, I want to give him a little bit of slack. Obviously, North Carolina's offensive line is very bad as well. But he still, I felt, played really well. He was the reason, in my opinion, they win this game. Not only does Josh Downs get the touchdown, but so does J.J. Jones. Your guy, Amari and Hampton, and Caleb Hood both kind of got held in check here. Now, Hood does get 74 yards. Hampton gets a touchdown, but just 36 yards on the ground. Uh, but it was really, in my opinion, on Drake May. He made the plays when it mattered. He continued to drive them down the field uh, when they needed to, and he kept them in the game and ended up getting the game-winning touchdown pass there. Is a great game for him. I mean, he's got to continue to move up our rankings. And North Carolina, I think, has got to be considered one of the best teams in the ACC right now as well. 
That 2024 quarterback class and running back class is starting to look extremely strong, extremely deep in that quarterback class. It's probably going to be deeper than the 2023 class. Drake made 19 for 28, 309 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, as you said. Josh Downs, I think that he is going to be selected in the back of the first round. Six for 69 and one. Uh, Marion Hampton, 36 yards, as you mentioned. No George Pettaway in this game. So it seems like as far as that race goes, uh, Omarion Hampton has taken the lead. So Matthew, we're going to come back to you later in the show. Appreciate you covering the red river shootout live from yeah, Dallas today. It's a lot of fun. All right. All right. This game just ended Colin Decker. Uh, you covered Texas A&M at Alabama for me. This one went down to the wire. Texas A&M takes, or excuse me, Texas A&M loses 20 to 24 They had a chance to win it from the three-yard line or so at the end of the game. It was an incompletion. Alabama, this one opened at 23 and a half, or 24, went down to uh, 23 and a half. They don't cover, but Alabama does get the win. Yeah, I mean, this game, I I was kind of surprised given the Bryce Young news that the line opened this big. I was expecting this to be a slow, grinded-out game, and that's more or less what it was. But the story of the day is struggles from both quarterbacks there. Uh, Jalen Milrow, again, for Alabama, struggles in this one. Two first-half fumbles and an interception. Should have had another interception to open the second half. Um, You know, he just has really been struggling to pass the ball. Goes 12 for 19, 111 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. And A&M did not uh, respect Milrow passing. They were crowding the line all night. They made it a little bit difficult there for Gibbs, but it was still the Gibbs show here. 21 carries. 154 yards, three catches and 13 yards on the ground. And he is looking, he's, he's running the ball. He's getting hot. Yeah. He's he's getting hot. He's running the ball. Like we wanted to to see from him. Uh, Somebody else we wanted to see Jermaine Burton. We had a sighting of him tonight, three catches, 54 yards and a touchdown. Uh, His touchdown there. It was a nice um, catch and run there after the catch. So, you know, maybe he's back a little bit. I don't know. Um, we'll see. Oh, it's more me hoping. Um, Ja'Cory Brooks also had a, a touchdown in this one. Two catches, 44 yards. Um, and then on the flip side, Texas A&M. Just Haynes King did not look good. He did execute in the red zone when it mattered in the first half. You know, he, he made Alabama pay for those costly fumbles. But he made costly mistakes down the stretch. Uh, that ended up killing them. He goes 25 for 46, 253 pass yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Uh, and he was under pressure all night, multiple sacks. Fortunately, he had Evan Stewart to bail him out and make yeah. this game close. Evan Stewart, a monster catch on that last drive, goes up and mosses two defenders. Then he draws a penalty on the next play, and he's giving them a chance he goes eight catches, 106 yards here in this one. Moose Muhammad had the touchdown. He goes six for 64 there. Uh, but it really was the Evan Stewart story in the passing game. Um, one short note, Chris Marshall gets three catches for 40 yards. So he's off the year one zero list now for anybody monitoring that at home. Um, Evan Stewart's uh, eight for 106 might as well be 200 yards receiving given how ineffective that Texas A&M offense has been up until this point. Uh, Devin Achain, 16 for 62. We consider him to be a day two NFL draft pick. He's got the athleticism, four for five through the air. That's it. It's not really what you want. But Evan Stewart, Evan Stewart, it's going to be between he and Luther Burden for the wide receiver one in this class. Burden injured today. So maybe Evan Stewart could overtake him somewhat. 
Uh, Colin, you also c- covered Tennessee going into Death Valley and taking down LSU 40 to 13. Tennessee was actually favored in this one on the road by two and a half. People are starting to mention Hendon Hooker as being a first round NFL draft candidate. Yeah, and I mean, Hendon Hooker absolutely has a phenomenal command of this offense here. He looks very calm in control out there, routinely making the right decisions. He knows when to test deep. He knows when to take what the defense is giving him. Good rushing threat. He's got a solid arm. Um, He looked good in this one. Um, You know, he's 17 for 27, 239 and two, and they didn't need him any more than that. They took, Tennessee took advantage of some early mistakes. LSU muffs the opening kickoff. They score three and out on the first drive, big punt return back. So Tennessee started on plus territory on their first three drives. Um, you know, receiver Cedric Tillman, not in this one. He was out. He was ruled um, out. Brew McCoy stepped up there in his stead, seven catches for 140 yards. And he is having a nice resurgence here so far with Cedric Tillman out. Uh, Brew McCoy transferred from USC, kind of an unceremonious end there, but Looking good here so far. Jalen Hyatt also had a nice day through the air. Four catches, 63 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, They got up by three scores right at the beginning of the second quarter and then just rode the run game. Jabari Small, 22 carries, 127 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, He looked pretty good here in this one, dominated those carries. Uh, Think of Jalen Hyatt if you haven't seen Jalen Hyatt play as a Tyquan Thornton type. He hasn't had the production that we thought, but he can go to the NFL draft and run a 4-2-4-40 and get drafted. Jabari Small, 22 for 127 yards and two touchdowns. There's not enough people really talking about him as being a a Debbie asset, so we got to pay attention to him. But Josh Heupel, Josh Heupel has this team going, and Tennessee has a great matchup next week. That number one Alabama team rolls into Knoxville into Knoxville on the LSU side, uh, Colin, uh, Kajan Boutte, he's going to have, he should, hopefully he has a better rookie year than he's having this. Well, I mean, it was really encouraging at the beginning of the game. They got him involved in a variety of ways on that first couple drives. They sent him in motion, use him on a pitch play, use him on a little bubble screen. They seemed like they wanted to get him involved in his first game back here. And then they didn't look his way again until midway through the third quarter. So he went, you know, a quarter and a half, two quarters there without seeing a target. Uh, and really the story here is just, you know, Jaden Daniels has not progressed at all as a passer since his promising freshman year at Arizona State. He holds the ball far too long, has to see it to throw it. Uh, his legs make him a fantasy asset, but it's never pretty. Uh, he had 300 yards here in this one, one touchdown, one interception. He had 38 yards rushing on the ground, but he was sacked five times and lost 34 yards. So he did have more rushing yards than that. Um, Malik Neighbors uh, is actually looking okay there with Jaden Daniels at the helm. Six catches for 80 yards here in this one. They were playing from behind early. It probably has something to do with that stat line there, uh, but not really much else here in this one. The running game struggled to get going. Uh, Just a rough game all around. Too many mistakes from LSU. Well, Colin, you also covered Ohio State at Michigan State. Michigan State should have called East Lansing police because this was an absolute <laughs> assault. Ohio State 49, Michigan 20. This game, uh, the line opened at Ohio State by 13 and a half. It moved to 27 and a half, and Ohio State covers. They're firing on all cylinders. 
Yeah, uh, CJ Stroud is is looking like the Heisman front runner right now. He looked very good in this one. 21 of 26 for 361 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, he did have one interception. Now, he wasn't on the same page with uh, Emeka no. Egbuka on this interception. Egbuka ran straight down the field. Stroud seemed to think he was running a comeback. Two plays later, they come right back to that play to Egbuka. You got to think Egbuka saw something there, and they just found him wide open for an 80-yard touchdown. Emeka uh, Egbuka, 5 for 143-1 in this one on the road. I, that might be his best game of his young career. That Yeah, phenomenal game from him. Marvin Harrison Jr., though, uh, actually even better day. Seven catches, 131 yards, and three touchdowns. Ooh, phenomenal day from him as well. Uh, and we even had a Julian Fleming sighting. Uh, four catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown in this one. Um, Tra- Travion Henderson uh, subbing in for the starter, Mayan Williams, 19 for 118 yards and one touchdown. Going back to Marvin Harrison Jr., he might be special. He might be special, special. He can beat you in a number of ways. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say uh, the big thing with this one with Ohio State is uh, they torched Michigan State deep. Three passes over 30 yards, two passes over 50 yards. They had the 80-yarder to Ibuka. Just They just dismantled Michigan State here. And then their defense uh, also had an excellent game. Ohio State's defense looks completely different this year under new defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. And this is looking like a formidable, formidable team. When you got the backup running back running for 118 yards on the road, (laughs) you got to like what you're seeing. It's an inside joke for those who are tuning in for the first time. On the Michigan State side, not much to see here. Uh, Peyton Thorne, uh, 11 for 18, 163 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, Noah Kim, 6 for 10, uh, 82 yards and and one touchdown. Jaden Reed, a potential NFL return man, four for 67 and one. Colin, we'll come back to you later on so that we can talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. Mike, Valerie, you've been away from us for a while. Now you're back. We had two undefeated teams, one of them being Kansas. TCU at Kansas. TCU was favored in this one, minus seven, and they take it 38-31. to 31. Kansas has to feel good, even though there are no moral victories. But Quentin Johnston, he had a how-you-like-me-now game. Yes, he did. Look, Quentin Johnson is coming back to us like that toxic ex in the 20s, telling him, hey, those games weren't about me earlier. That wasn't me. This is the real me right here. And I'm ready to let him back in the Debbie community, man. I'm ready to get hurt again. Quentin Johnson on the night. Just amazing. I lost his numbers. Oh, my gosh. 14, 14 for, for 206 six yards and one touchdown, 200 yards receiving for the potential first-round NFL draft pick. Yes, he's uh, he had that – he demonstrated that athleticism, the – just a player we thought we were going to see all year. We finally got to see that here. Uh, acrobatic catch here in the end zone to seal the game for the team. Had 139 uh, receiving yards in the first half. Uh, this was just a great game and a great bounce back for Quentin Johnson in his career. Let's go on over to the running backs here. Kendrick Miller. Now, this is an offense that we see a lot of rotation from. This is not the case anymore. Kendrick Miller had the backfield locked on there. 18 carries for 88 yards and one touchdown. Two catches for five yards. Uh, had a ball overthrown him, too, so he would have had three uh, receptions there. He's a smooth athlete. I mean, I, I really like him as a player. Me and Corey talk about him NFL a lot. NFL size, yeah. You, you all, Corey has been on him. NFL size, and he's producing now with TCU with no Zach Evans there. 
Yes, and then Max Dew in the quarterback here. 23 for 33, 308 and three and three touchdowns and one interception here. I mean, he's just doing Max Dugan things as usual where he he's ready to bust out from those blitzes there. Nine carries for 55 yards and a touchdown. Uh, it's great to see him get that chemistry back with Quentin Johnston, and, and we hope to see him continue that during the year because, I mean, if he has two, maybe three more games like this, like we won't care about those first four or five games of just nothing. So looking forward to TCU as an offense here. Now we're going on to the Kansas side here. Well, let's just let's uh, in TCU. If you drafted DJ Allen in your freshman and, and supplemental drafts, or, jo- or Jordan Houston, a wall on this one, no stats. So just wanted to note that. Go ahead and tell us about Kansas, Mike. All right, going over to Kansas here. Uh, Jalen Daniels, uh, five for ten for eighty nine. Early injury. Uh, we want to see him against a real defense here. So that was disappointing. We thought this game was going to be over. But scratch that, Jason Bean comes in, 16 for 24, 262, and then four touchdowns and one interception. Now, he was efficient to start, and that was a surprise for me. I mean, I don't really hold backups in high esteem, but he seemed to just fill in that role exactly as Jalen Daniels was. They have a type there in Kansas, and it was just nice seeing him see him succeed. Uh, Devin Neal, 15 for 88 on the day, and Quentin Skinner, 4 for 98 and 2. He's your leading wide receiver. Jason Beam, very athletic and fast in his own right. Jalen Daniels, as you mentioned, went out early in this one. And they only lost by 7, so you don't know how that game would have been different. Mike, you also covered Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma, I I keep saying it every single week. Mike Gundy is not getting enough credit. They were favored by 13 and a half in this one. They don't cover, but they take the victory 41-31 at home. Yeah, that's right. This is going to be the Red Creek feud, the real battle between Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, This is the... This is the first pace of play offense in Texas Tech versus the 21st pace of play offense in Oklahoma State. So this was the shootout that we wanted. I mean, you got to love it. Uh, Oklahoma State here, Spencer Sanders, 22 for 45, 297 and one. Looked to struggle early throwing the ball, in my opinion, man. He couldn't get it going. Uh, rushing was 17, 56 and two. Uh, they got it going second half here. I do want to note this. The second half, uh, they had... 14 points here, 7 to 21. Anyway, they did most of the damage in the second half of the game. Texas Tech seemed to be get locked down here on the defensive end here. Uh, but they, yeah, I'm losing my spot here, man. Dominic Richardson, you probably started him. He was in the 19 carries for 67 yards, one touchdown. Not terribly efficient on the ground, less than three yards or less than four yards a carry. Two for 24 through the air. He'll probably have better weeks. Bryson Green, uh, five for 115 yards and one touchdown. Brennan Presley, free Brennan Presley, please. Six or 62. He was also their lead return man. Jaden Bray, who we expected to be the ex-wide receiver there for Oklahoma State. He had two for 24 in his first game back in action. However, Spencer Sanders targeted him uh, frequently down the field. They just weren't able to connect. But they it seems like they want to, him to be a big play wide receiver down the field for them. They just weren't able to uh, get those completions. So watch out for Jaden Bray, a player who's in our top 25-ish at wide receiver on the season, been injured early on. But he should have uh, better games as the season goes along. Tell, tell us about Texas Tech, Mike. Yeah, Texas Tech here. We had a redshirt soft freshman freshman here start for us. That's going to be Baron Morton. Uh, didn't look like they want to go with uh, Donovan Smith here anymore. Donovan's got one snap in there. Uh, just got his ball batted down, and that was about it for him. But Morton, 39 completions for 62 attempts, 379 and two with one interception. 
and he found Jaron Bradley early. I mean, you like to see that chemistry early on. Jaron Bradley, eight for 119 and one. Trey Cleveland here filling in for Miles Price, who was absent this game, nine for 100 and zero. And then you had Xavier White, eight catches for 62 and one. Xavier White, who I'm not really familiar with, that was a surprise for me. You got anything to say about the receiving core? Well, you probably started Jaron Bradley. You didn't start Trey Cleveland today. Loic Fungi, who you may have started two for 14. Uh, Miles Price was uh, uh, announced as injured early on today. So Roderick Thompson, a running back who, a fourth year player who is, you know, maybe a, a day three draft pick or undrafted free agent, 20 for 87 and one in this one. They let Baron Morton throw the ball 62 times in this one. And if you are a fan of Debbie Debate, two years ago, we had Alan True from 24-7 Sports on the show. And when we asked, you know, who is a three-star, a lower-ranked prospect that we should pay attention to, he mentioned Baron Morton, and who he had his first start today. Uh, Donovan Smith was healthy, but played wide receiver in this one. Uh, but they gave Baron Morton the start. He looked, he looked pretty good for it being his first start. No, he looked great too. I mean, and you got him for multiple years. This is a retro freshman. I mean, he's going to stick around the system for years. And you hope he gets that chemistry with like Duran Bradley, who's also a second year player there. So if you just got that tandem now for your C2C rosters, you're going to be pretty happy about that. You always want Zach Kitley's quarterback, and it looks like for the time being, that's going to be Baron Morton. We don't know when Tyler Shuck is going to be back. All right, Mike, get out of here. With all your puns and jokes, Mike, we'll come back to you later on in the show. Hannah Page, our creative lead uh, here at CampusToCanton.com, has graced us with her presence because her Hilltoppers were in a big matchup today uh, at UTSA. We thought that we could have fireworks in this one. Maybe not as many fireworks that we as we thought. Unfortunately for Hannah, uh, Western Kentucky falls on the road 28-31 to to UTSA. Hannah, why don't you start with your Hilltoppers? We at least got the fantasy performances that we wanted from uh, from Austin Reading Company. Yeah, you go into this game knowing it's going to be a tip for a tat. Um, Austin Reed went 35 of 49 for 373 yards and two touchdowns. And I'm not sure any of us really saw Reed with 11 carries for 43 yards and one touchdown. He's done a phenomenal job considering who he replaces, but it should be noted Heading into this game, Reed had 10 turnover-worthy plays. 10, tur- 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 10 turnover-worthy plays, but he is a QB1. We're still playing him. Kyle Robichaw, I don't know if I'm saying that right, 13 for, six, Rob- 13 for 65 and 1. And, of course, we're starting Malachi Corley and Daywood Davis Anytime they're on the field, and let, if they have a bye week, but we're starting those two. Malachi Corley, 11 for 131, no touchdowns. Daywood Davis gets the touchdown, 8 for 120 and 1. On the other side, Hannah, Frank Harris, um, they get the win. He might not be an NFL quarterback, but he's a darn good college quarterback. Yeah, Harrison, he has elite receivers, and they're still really, really good. But I think... WK secondary was able to keep those explosive pass plays at a minimum. He ended the night with 24 of 35 for 273 yards and one touchdown. Mobility is still what makes him incredibly hard to defend. He added 10 carries for 61 yards and one touchdown. 
I've said this in the past. I think Frank Harris could potentially be switch to wide receiver and be uh, an NFL wide receiver. We haven't seen that as much in recent years, but I think that he could be one. He's very athletic. Uh, on the ground, Bra Brendan Brady adds 19 carries for 82 yards and one touchdown. You mentioned those wide receivers. Uh, Traylon Smith, 12 for 65. So a good PPR day. Zachary Franklin, 6 for 95. And Dorian Clark, 4 for 62 and one touchdown. Hannah Page, appreciate you coming on tonight to talk to us about your Hilltoppers. <laughs> and, of course, we're going to get to the G5 uh, minute later on today. So, Hannah, appreciate it. Barnabas, Barnabas, we this there were a lot of good games today. We had this the rundown is going to be so long because we had to cover it all. The three a uh, 3:30 p.m. game, noon there on uh, Pacific time. Utah falls to UCLA. Chip Kelly has the Bruins going a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I'm Mr. Hollywood today. I got the two LA teams. Um, so Utah at UCLA, it was really uh, back and forth in the beginning. Both teams kind of struggled to get going offensively. Um, and then a pick uh, by, let me make sure I pronounce his name right, um, Masua uh, was the what was the thing that got uh, UCLA kickstarted, and then it just became a shootout from then till the end of the game, where it was just you know each team was scoring each time, and so uh, it was really fun to watch towards the end there. Um, but yeah, Cam Rising had a had a pretty better than I expected at least passing game, uh, twenty three for thirty two. Uh, with for 287 yards, um, only a pick, but you know, obviously there are other <laughs> ways to score as well. Um, Tavion Thomas finally getting some, maybe getting some momentum on the season. Uh, 18 carries, 91 yards, and a touchdown, um, and uh, <clears throat> as well as adding 16 yards to the air. Um, and you know, uh, Utah only throws to their tight ends. That's kind of the thing they do, right? And so uh, Dalton Kincaid finishes the day uh, four for 67. Maybe that is indicative of uh, UCLA's defense um, actually stepping up there. And Devon Valet uh, had also added 87 yards on six catches. Um, He's um, your leading, yeah. wi leading wide receiver. Cam Rising also adds 13 for uh, 59 and two touchdowns on the ground. Um, but we got to talk about this UCLA offense, Barnabas. And Zach Charbonnet, he, he decided to come back for his senior year, and he's tearing it up a little bit. Absolutely. Rushing just short of two bills today. Um, it, he was showing speed and, you know, we all know Zach Charbonnet can bang with the, the, with the best of them, but uh, he was showing some, some decent open field stuff as well. Uh, just short of two bills uh, and a touchdown on 22 carries. Um, nothing through the air. We'd love to see that for his draft profile, but uh, this game, not, not really, maybe not the game for it uh, with Utah's tough defense. Uh, DTR on the other hand, uh, also a great game for him. Maybe actually throwing, showing some uh, throwing, prowess he went 18 for 23 for uh just short of 300 yards um four touchdowns and just one pick but fantasy owners won't be con too concerned about that pick after four touchdowns um he also added a touchdown scamper and had eight yards on the ground so you know not not a huge rushing day for a guy that you'd expect you know to be all over the field um jake bobo uh, was kind of the only guy that really got anything through the air uh he dtr completed passes to eight different receivers and uh, Bobo got the touchdowns and he had, uh, you know, just like one other receiver that had more than like three interse uh, re three receptions in Kashmir Allen. And so uh, Jake Bobo, three receptions, 22 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, you know, you don't want a receiver that's touchdown dependent in fantasy, but uh, Bobo got it, got there for you. So 
We're starting DTR. We're starting Zach Charbonnet. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see where Zach Charbonnet uh, lands in the NFL draft draft this year because he has the requisite size. He was a, a high pedigree player as far as being a recruit. Didn't catch the ball as much as you would like, but there is some value to his skill set. So we will see. Barnabas, I think my favorite game on the slate that I said coming into this week was Washington State at USC. This one was the late game. Uh, Washington State kept it close early on before USC took it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was kind of a it was it was a closer game and lower scoring than you'd expect from these two teams going to halftime. It would, I think it was a seven to fourteen or something something along those lines. Um, so uh, not quite the offensive output in the beginning, but towards the end we got we got a lot of things going. Uh, Cam Ward finishes the day uh, nineteen of thirty two, hundred seventy two yards and a, two touchdowns. Um, and really couldn't get anything going on the ground. He was sacked five times. You know, uh, you tweeted out, Felix, that uh, trying to catch Cam Ward is like trying to chase a chicken. Well, uh, you know, the, the Trojans did a really good job in uh, fencing him off because uh, they sacked him five times, although all of them came from two players. It was Tuli Tui Pelotu, younger brother of Marlon on the Eagles now, out of uh, also out of USC, and uh, Nick Figueroa. So, you know, interesting that they were uh, kind of cornering him to the same people each time but yeah um on the ground uh Jalen Jenkins had uh 13 carries for 130 yards you know and uh also was the leading receiver on the team with two receptions for 54 yards um kind of interesting there Jalen Jenkins is a fresh a, tr a true freshman running back he's a, a deuce Vaughn body type 5'8 185 pounds or so he's been they've continued to increase his workload he should be rostered in 100 percent of campus to Canton leagues at the very least he is a fantasy asset that you can start he should have had another uh receiving touchdown Cameron Ward scrambled a little bit found him open he should have caught it he didn't had some other good catches uh in this game including downfield downfield targets the coaching staff has a lot of confidence in him he's a true freshman has to be rostered in 100 of leagues Absolutely. And who knows, maybe we'll see him at uh, some other school next year. But uh, anyway, that's a different conversation <laughs> um, on the USC side. You know, the Hollywood team, uh, we got Caleb Williams showing what he's doing. But really, USC was kind of more slow and steady all day today. Um, Caleb Williams finishes the day 15 of 29, uh, 188 yards and two touchdowns. Um, he, he threw a frozen rope to Mario Williams uh, on kind of an out-of-structure play um, after a couple weird penalties in there. Um, so it, that, that was really, you know, encouraging to see. Obviously, Caleb Williams, we know his arm, um, didn't rush as much as he'd like to. But, you know, he was fighting for every inch, even at towards the end of the game. So it was really good to see. Uh, Travis Dye was really the, really the focal point of this USC offense, though. 28 carries. Yeah. Uh, you know, not great efficiency with only 149 yards and a uh, but he still got a touchdown and, you know, they were running him and he was finding gaps. It wasn't it wasn't pretty, but he was, you know, chugging at each play. So that was good to see. Uh, I mentioned Mario Williams got that touchdown. But he also had another touchdown. So he finishes the day four receptions, 82 yards, two touchdowns. Um, Jordan Addison was hurt during this game. So he he kind of disappeared for a bit. Um, and, you know, they really didn't need him towards the end of the game because they started running away with it. Uh, he finished his day with three catches for 37 yards um, and he added a rush for negative seven yards. Um, but anyway, uh, USC slow and steady. They, they just continued to play their game and they let the game come to them. And, uh, you know, that's what Lincoln Riley teams do. So it's good to see that 2024, uh, quarterback class, Caleb Williams, Quint Ewers, Drake may really, really strong. 
there at the top. All right, Barnabas, thank you. We'll come back to you when we do the NFL draft segment. Sounds good. I have to include a Matt game on the rundown, even though I am mocked and ridiculed for it. I like these Matt games. There's a lot of good fantasy players in this one. So Kent State at Miami, Miami of host by my former coach, Martin. They take this one 27 24. You're going to be starting Colin Schley uh, there at Kent State during action. He was 23 for 40, 306 yards, three touchdowns. He adds 10 for 27 on the ground. Marquez Cooper just 13 for uh, 32 on the ground, one for nine through the air. Don uh, Dante Cephas had the big game last week, nine for 118 and one in this one. And uh, Devontae Walker, 11 for 159 and two. On the other hand, you're probably not starting, even though they got the win, you're probably not starting a whole lot of Miami of Ohio Red Hawks. You are going to start Mac Hippenhammer. He had a terrible game in this one, just one for five yards. Miles Marshall. The Indiana transfer, just two for 89. Jack Coldiron, three for for 60 and they started avion smith with uh gabbert out in this one uh nine for 14 179 and one he had 10 he had 10 for 71 on the ground all right that's it cut the music that is the rundown we appreciate all of our uh panelists we we got to get something to like fade that down eventually our production value is going to be super high uh when we you know make it as a company All right, let's go to the G5 Minute. Every week on College Fantasy Tonight, we check with Campus to Canton, the creative lead, Hannah Page, who you heard from earlier. But we want to check in specifically on the performances around the G5. So segment Hey, everyone. This is Hannah Page with the G5 Minute. Each week, I'll bring you highlights from the group of five, as well as major G5 producers for the day. Tulane defeated East Carolina 24-9, meaning the Green Wave are now 5-1 on the season. Quarterback Michael Pratt went 27 of 34 for 326 yards and two touchdowns. The last time Tulane had 350 passing yards against an FBS opponent was in 2018, also against East Carolina. UAB bounced back after an uncharacteristic loss to Rice and defeated Middle Tennessee 41-14. Everyone's favorite running back, Dwayne McBride, had 12 carries, 120 yards, 10 yards per carry, and three touchdowns. We don't talk a lot about Liberty, but the Flames are now 5-1. Their only loss was by one point to Wake Forest, and someone to keep your eye on for a couple years to come is wide receiver Demario Douglas. Against UMass, Douglas had four receptions for 134 yards, 33.5 yards per catch, and one touchdown. And against Wake Forest, he had seven receptions for 124 yards, 17.7 yards per catch, and two touchdowns. They've got a tough two-game stretch after Gardner-Webb facing BYU and Arkansas, but you may want to start him against UConn, Virginia Tech, and New Mexico State to round out the season. That's it for the G5 Minute. See you next week. Thank you, Hannah. You can check in next week for the G5 Minute. Let's bring in Barnabas Lee here. Barnabas is our NFL draft correspondent, and so he's checking on matchups from a, with a little bit of a different perspective. Uh, Barnabas, how have injuries played a role in the draft process six weeks into the season? 
Sure. So uh, maybe not so much injuries for Butte, but a lot of the t these top receivers um, have had injuries. So we've had chances to see how much these uh, other receivers can shine without the you know relative uh, performances dragging down maybe their stock a little bit. For example, Josh Downs. You know his his uh, scouting report is that he's so small that uh, maybe he's not a wide receiver one in the NFL. But today he showed he can score out of out of. Uh, out of structure with that one pass from Drake May. And uh, especially going against, uh, you know, high, high profile receivers. He saw Tyreek Stevenson for a good portion of the day. Anytime he went outside, uh, looked like Miami was playing a little bit of his own match. So uh, anytime he went outside, he was seeing Tyreek Stevenson, who was a bigger corner. And so we're, it's interesting, interesting to see that as well. Um, and so it, it'll be uh, fun to see how these other receivers, you know, Quentin Johnson finally got a chance to break out with all these other receivers that, um, that maybe don't have a chance to just because they're not seeing the field like JSN. Now, uh, Barnabas, we are full in full gear uh, in conference play. These games mean a little bit more. What can we look forward to that may be different than the out of conference play that we see? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, as, as much as we hate to say it, the, the level of prospects that are in the G5 don't actually always add up to the uh, power five. And so what we're guaranteed power five matches ev matchups every year and uh, every week now that we're in the conference slate and we get matchups like uh, Auburn versus Georgia today, where you have edges, Derek Hall and Colby Wooden, who are both guys that are going to be edges in the NFL as well. Um, even if Colby Wooden kind of moves around a little bit on that defensive line and they're facing real NFL talents in Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon. And uh, I, I wrote about them this week because it, it, it's, it's really interesting how those two skill sets really match up and so uh that was really fun to see you know we've been waiting on Tavion Thomas to really break out fantasy wise and I don't know if this is breaking out necessarily but he's he's maybe getting some momentum in that mid-tier right now um and uh he was matched up against a linebacker today and Darius Musa who was really the one that got UCLA started and so uh you know these storylines will persist throughout um but what you will hear about on draft day from uh, you know Mel Kuyper and uh, on ESPN and, you know, anyone from any, uh, any platform is going to be these storylines that are formed week after week now. So uh, really, really excited to see how the rest of this plays out. And, uh, you know, some of these teams might be seeing each other further down the line in uh, postseason as well. So Barnabas highlights matchups every week that we need to pay attention to for the purposes of the NFL draft. And you can check that out. It's called the fight card. You can check that out every week at campus to Canton.com Barnabas. This is so unprofessional, but I can't remember all the letters in your uh, Twitter handle. So give us your Twitter handle where we can find you. Uh, yeah. You can find my content at uh, PKJB Lee. Uh, PKJB Lee. Follow this man on Twitter. He is under follow. Yes, all right. Uh, let's get some co-panelists here. Barnabas, you stick around. We got some things to talk about. Matt Bruning, Mike Valerie, Colin Decker, all here for the panel. Gentlemen, the thing I love about uh, college football is how these storylines evolve and develop uh, over the course of the season, from season to season. Let's start here with Marvin Harrison Jr. And Colin, I'm going to give you this one first. Why isn't Marvin Harrison Jr. the wide receiver one over Kayshawn Boutte, over Jackson Smith and Jigba? Who says he's not? Um, I mean, you know, prior to this season, I, you know, I wasn't really ready to, to do that. I wasn't really ready to make that call. And, and his stats so far have been aided by JSN being out. 
but he looks really good. So like this throughout the year here, and he also offers the outside, uh, you know, he can play on the outside where JSN probably doesn't play as, as well on the outside there. So I think he, he's definitely in the conversation for wide receiver one. I don't know if I'm ready to move him up just yet. I'll have to look at a couple things this week, but he's very, very close. He already well, has Dane Brugler oh, has got him at wide receiver one. So overall, go ahead, Matt. We were asked to update our rankings by the boss, uh, Austin. And so I updated mine. And while it's not showing on the site, which I'm not going to lie is a tad bit disappointing, but that is what it is. Uh, Marvin Harrison was moved up to my one on Wednesday. And apparently Alfred did that as well. So I know there's at least two of us that have moved I Marvin did. Harrison Jr. Did you too? Okay. I didn't know for sure. I haven't seen yours. Me and Alfred talked about it. So there's three of us who have moved him up to one. I know Austin is against that. He, he does not believe that Marvin Harrison should be above JSN, but you have talked about the fact that, and I do agree with you, that he has a higher upside than JSN. And so if we think that, why would we not put him above JSN right now, especially in campus to Cantonese, where, again, we consistently talk about the college side matters. Well, you're going to get Marvin Harrison for one more year. JSN's not coming back. So I've actually moved him up to my one. I've actually moved Jordan Addison ahead of Kayshawn Boutte and JSN as well, just because of what he's been doing at USC. I would not be surprised if he's the first wide receiver taken off the board. Uh, but I, I don't really understand the argument not moving Harrison up to one because JSN, I understand maybe it's because of an injury, but he hasn't shown us anything this year. He is limited to possibly the slot. And Boutte has been – he's got one touchdown on the season. I guarantee he doesn't have more than 12 catches. Like, he's not had a good year. So, I don't understand the arguments for not having Harrison up there. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is very much a slot wide receiver. So, he's going to have to go to an offense and an offensive coordinator that are going to – that is going to emphasize the slot in high volume. I mean, there are only a handful of those types of teams in the NFL. Think about what the Rams do with uh, with with Cooper Cup, and he has to go to that sort of situation. Mike Valerie, are you good with Marvin Harrison Jr. being wide receiver one? Um, not yet, and and this is the only reason why. This is it. He's number three for me. He's he seems to disappear against real defenses. I mean, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Rutgers, right? Not great showings. His great showings: Arkansas State, Toledo, and then we got Michigan State here. Uh, but he's somebody here that I, I don't mind being put down as the one later on in the season. But, like, it's just – I mean, he's playing some quirky Ruck, defenses. Is Rutgers getting thrown in there as a great <laughs> defense? I mean, I can't I mean, it's, it's not right. Arkansas State. <laughs> no, but I, I think he's a he's a threat at all three levels of the field. Yeah. Like, that's what we talk about with the Mecca Buka. We're worried about him being just a, a kind of a shorter and intermediate area. Marvin Harrison is, is a is a three level threat. I mean, his passes don't come from screenplays. You know, he he's out there running routes. So, if, if someone in the comments can please look up what Rutgers is ranked defensively, and it's and actually not bad. Here, it's not bad. I would. I yeah, because no one it. needs to pass against Rutgers. They just <laughs> run the ball all the way in. <laughs> Here, here's the thing about Marvin Harrison, right? Um, his draft profile is going to take hits. Obviously, Dane, who I we at least I do respect him really greatly. Marvin Harrison is the typical big bodied receiver. He struggles to turn. Frankly, uh, I I was looking through some of the clips from the game today. I, I confess I wasn't able to watch it. Every single time he needs to make a sharp turn, he has to push off the defender to get there because he just can't do it. He's has high hips and, uh, you know, he can work maybe a D DK Metcalf role, which obviously is very lucrative and prolific in the NFL. And he needs to go to the system. You know, you mentioned that um, JSN's a slot. Who's not a slot in that draft class, right? You know, 
just Quentin Johnston. Is that it? Like they're, they're all small. Josh Downs is the only one listed under six foot, but I can bet, I'd bet money that Jordan Addison measures in under six foot of the combine as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's tough, right? We, we'd like to see someone like, I think Boutte actually is above six foot, but, uh, and he's easily the best route runner out of all of them. But at the same time, is any team going to trust him to be on the field, you know, come game time? So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on in terms of drafting. For my purposes, Marvin Harrison isn't wide receiver one because he's not in the draft class. But uh, (laughs) that's a separate conversation. I now have uh, pictures of Marvin Harrison Jr. and the three cone drill in my head, just like uh, with DK Metcalf. Let's move here to the 2023 running back class. And Barnabas, I want your take on this one. Who do you think is the RB2 after uh, uh, B. John Robinson? So there are a lot of good options. I think Zach Evans is the sexy pick here that everyone is really coming on, uh, you know, going to yeah. jump on. Yeah, Johnny, Johnny come yeah. lately. Yeah, everyone, everyone's going to jump on that train and it'll be fine. Um, some people will like the receiving prowess of Gibbs. Although uh, I forget who mentioned it. Someone mentioned it. It's too easy to pick other running backs like Zach Evans who have the frame that NFL teams like as much as they teams are looking for the receiving ability. Um, My dark horse is actually Sean Tucker. Uh, He's got the quickness. And I think that the more compact build works in a lot of ways, you know, think uh, a little bit of Austin Eckler in there, but maybe more of a runner and less of a receiver in that, that aspect. Um, I think that's my dark horse in there. Um, and obviously you got to throw a Devin A chain in there, but he's a little small and uh, five, nine running backs just don't make it as RB ones. And so he, he will work himself into day two draft capital, but he is, uh, he's not. Barnabas, uh, you are in a deposition. Who is the RB two in the 2023 class? Answer the damn question. My question, my pick right now is Sean Tucker. That's 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 a hot take. That's a hot take. Colin, who you got? I still have Jameer Gibbs. Uh, I mean, he answered the biggest. He's been answering the biggest question for me so far this year, and especially in these past two games. And that's how is he going to look running between the tackles? I mean, we know he's a prolific receiver. We saw it at Georgia Tech. That was really the only way they could get him the ball. Um, You know, and now at Alabama. We're seeing him run between the tackles. We're seeing him take some handoffs here, you know, back-to-back 100-yard games. Um, he's answering that question for me. Only real question is size. how the NFL is going to view size. that size. Yeah. I don't think they're going to be that worried about it, uh, especially given that he's running at Alabama right now. I still think he is very comfortably like a round two running back. So I, I give me give me Jameer Gibbs. Mike, Matt? It's still Gibbs for me, but I, I I do have Evans closing the gap a little bit because of the size concerns. It's something we've talked a lot about, not just on this channel, this on Debbie debate. We've talked a lot about it as well, but I, I have to believe that the team that drafts Jameer Gibbs is bringing him in with a idea of how to use him correctly. So therefore, because of how talented he is as a receiver. And I agree with what Colin said. He's looked much better running the ball against sec competition that I feel like he's probably going to be the number two back drafted and he would be my number two right now. Matt Waldman, who, you know, is one of the best at evaluating running backs always separates between gap runners and zone runners. And I think if you put Jameer Gibbs on a, in a zone running scheme where he can find those cutback lanes, he's going to get to the, to the second level and use that acceleration a lot. So I, I know that, you know, San Francisco doesn't draft running backs that highly, but if they took somebody like Jameer Gibbs, I think watch out as far as fantasy value 
Mike, real quick, who you got uh, for RB2 in the 2023 class? Jameer Gibbs. So it is same thing as Matt said. Jameer Gibbs. Let's stay with the running backs, but let's move to uh, 2024. The de- this is the debate. The, the debate is who is the RB1 in this class. Raheem Sanders, who is a former wide receiver, came on as an athlete. They switched him to running back. Or Travion Henderson, who was the five-star player, had all of the hoopla. Um, I won't make jokes about him being the backup at, at Ohio State now. But Matt Bruning, I mean, you pay attention to – to Ohio State. So I, I'm curious to know if you would put Raheem Sanders over Travion Henderson for the RB1. I wouldn't yet, but I honestly don't have an issue with it. We talked about it on Debbie Debate Wednesday. Like I, I see an argument for putting him at, at RB1. He has been extremely productive, again, against some of the top competition. Uh, I, yeah. I did a poll about this, or I think earlier last week when I was talking about how Braylon Allen has kind of lived and died off these big runs. Raheem Sanders has actually produced the best running out of all of these running backs when he's on the field and he catches the ball, which has kind of been the one thing I felt like was separating Henderson from some of those other guys. Now Henderson's big thing for me is availability is the biggest key in the NFL. And he has not been able to stay on the field and healthy this year. Even again today, he got banged up. They pulled him out of the game and put Dallin Hayden in to take over in the third quarter. Like, that's not what you want to see out of your star running back. And it happened last year as well. You know, I'm hoping maybe it's just him getting used to college again. He did have to take an entire year off um, his senior season, but I feel like he should be ready to go now. So I, if you put Sanders there, I have no issue with it. Henderson is still my one right now, though. I have an there issue is some, there is some depth there. Uh, Raheem Sanders, Travion Henderson, Will Shipley at Clemson and Braylon Allen at Wisconsin. Go ahead, Colin. Recency bias here. I mean, Travion Henderson was phenomenal last year. He was a phenomenal prospect coming in. Uh, and now this is not knocking Raheem Sanders at all. He has been very good, especially in his transition into the running back position. He's made that quicker than what we kind of expected. He's taken a stranglehold of that Arkansas running game, which normally features multiple running backs, and he's forced their hand to give it to him. But Travion Henderson is the complete package as a running back. He catches passes well. He's very fast. He's got that home run speed. Looks really good running in between the tackles. We haven't seen him on the field a lot lately because he has been banged up. Banged up at the end of last year as well. So I mean, I sort of understand those injury concerns. But at the same time, the running back position is just is susceptible to some nicks and bruises. And they haven't needed Travion Henderson. You know, Mayan Williams, Felix, your guy, has looked very good running behind that line as well. Uh, Dallin Hayden has even looked good here. So I think um, that, you know, these these running backs have been good enough behind Trayvon Henderson that they haven't needed to force him back here. Trayvon Henderson is still a better prospect. Easily Trayvon Henderson for me. Way in here, guys. Mike? Uh, Yeah, I got to weigh in here for sure. It is much harder to have a scheme against Travion Henderson. I they, like with that receiving core there, like they're not going to, you know, stack the box more because there's just so many weapons there. But now with Raheem Sanders though, like, the, like who else does Arkansas have? Like nobody. And and they didn't have KJ, KJ Jefferson today. I mean, they have KJ Jefferson, but they didn't have him today. So I, I definitely saw him struggle a lot more here against the Mississippi defense. I mean, he could just be focused down more. I just think Henderson has an easier path to success because there's just so many weapons on the offense that defenses can't focus him, whereas Sanders has a lot of focus set on him. I mean, the word is out. I mean, he is at offense. 
So I, I'm a little bit more on the Henry, on the Sanders side, but it's well, they're two elite options there. And Henderson also has by far the better offensive line, weaker competition, which was one of my arguments against Braylon Allen. Like, I do get what Colin's saying in the recency bias thing, but if that's the case, nobody should be dropping Braylon Allen because it's just recency bias that he sucked lately. I mean, you know, no. you can't you can't play it one way or the other. He you didn't look say... that good last year either, Braylon yes, Allen. It's the Bra- same look, thing. I'm not this a big fan the of Braylon same Allen. Thing that we saw from him yeah. last this is year. Blasphemy. This is that, blasphemy. Yeah, look, I hate you agreeing with Felix, and I am agreeing with you Felix be on this one. Of yourself. He okay, was so, not as bad as yeah. he's looked right now. But go ahead, Barnabas. Yeah, so I, I'll I'll stand here and I'll say I'm going to contradict myself. You know, all offseason I was saying, watch out for Ches Malusi. I think he's actually a better running back than people think he is. But let me tell you, I think Braylon Allen actually is the running back one here. And and yeah, I, I know I like to zig when everyone's zagging. But here's the thing. You, you say he lives and dies by the long runs, but that's actually what the NFL is looking for, right? When it comes down to it, they don't – you know, they're, they like sharp. They're going to like Charbonnet because he's, you know, bigger than most of the linebackers and he'll just carry them five yards. But, but what, uh, but what Braylon Allen is going to do is he's going to be the youngest running back in the class. Cause he's what still 19 or something. Um, 18. he's, he's going to be, everybody will let you know yeah. it on Twitter too. He's 18. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's going to be the youngest back in the class, um, which teams will love no matter what he puts on tape. But he's also going to have the long runs, which is what teams want. And he's going to be Wisconsin running back, which means he's going to have the correct amount of uh, experience running between the tackles as well. He doesn't need to show that he's getting four yards a carry instead of three and a half. Frankly, that doesn't matter to most NFL teams. And so um, if he can show some, you know, any receiving prowess at all, you know, because the fact of the matter is he's playing, he's playing the, he and Raheem Sanders, I think, um, have a chance here uh, to catch Travion Henderson um, from like the general consensus in for two reasons. One is we've seen that there is a big amount of attention fatigue in the draft process. Travion Henderson has been in the spotlight for so long. Um, I, I always talk about this. I don't know why we came off of Justin Jefferson during his draft process. Cause we had him as wide receiver one going into the draft, going into the season. And then we just came off of him and we, we said he, he was wide receiver four or five. It doesn't make sense. And so there is a team attention fatigue. Travian Henderson may suffer from that. Uh, hopefully uh, this sounds ironic. Hopefully this injury actually helps him out in that sense. And he'll be out of the spotlight long enough that we'll be back on him coming in next season. And second is the fact that in the NFL teams know when you're running or passing most of the time play action works but really teams can read that fairly easily. If I can tell from the stands, then the defenses on the field can tell, you know, and you know, any team that has to play defense against Wisconsin or Arkansas knows that they're running the ball. There's not really that big of a passing threat here. Although, you know, DK went off today, so who knows, but anyway, they, they know they're running the ball almost every single play. And yet these guys are still being productive. So those are my two reasons why I think general consensus, we can catch uh, Sanders and Allen can catch Henderson at some point. Um, I, he just wiped the floor with all of you. That <laughs> argument de- deserves a like. Like this video and subscribe to Camps at the Canton on YouTube to get analysis like that from Barnabas. And follow him on Twitter. Last question here, Barnabas, and I want you to take this one uh, first, given how eloquently you, you handled that last question. Hendon Hooker, I think the problem that many in the fantasy community and maybe not the draft community, so to speak, but definitely the fantasy community. The problem they have with Hendon Hooker is that he is an older prospect, but we don't consider his traits and his skills. Do you see him as a first round NFL quarterback? Uh, No. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I think part of it is that as 
you know, inherently, while we are analysts, we are fans first in many ways. And we see these highlights and Hendon Hooker looks real good in those highlights. Uh, but if you really get down the nuts and bolts, there are a lot of things missing here. Uh, Hooker's mostly making one read plays here. Uh, so really, it's questionable whether he can make a full progression um he actually doesn't have as much zip on the ball as you think he can get the ball down there but a lot of times it's in the wrong angle and if you look at even his highlights almost none of them show a corner within 10 yards of the receiver it's just it's just wide open he's just laying that thing out there and it doesn't matter where he throws it because the receiver can just run under it so i question whether he ha actually has the arm talent and i question whether he has it above the shoulders as well um, maybe I'm sure some team will take a chance on him, uh, in terms of a backup, maybe someone like the Ravens where, you know, you have a more athletic quarterback. So someone who fits in like Tyler Huntley is such a perfect backup for them because you honestly can't tell the difference between the two if they wear the same number. Um, and so maybe some team like that who values the athleticism of the quarterback can take him, but it, it, to have him as a first round quarterback, which inherently means that he's going to be a starter someday, they expect him to be a starter someday, just doesn't seem realistic, especially considering his age, which is also the reason why I'm out on Tanner McKee. Mike, Matt, Colin, what do you feel about Hendon Hooker being a first round NFL quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I, I watched that game today, and and I, you know, like I said, you can tell he has just a phenomenal command of that offense. Um, but that offense is very gimmicky. Uh, we haven't really seen any quarterbacks successfully translate from that offense. I mean, Drew Locke, uh, you know, still he got taken in the second round, um, but that was more based on tools. And we saw how that kind of turned out here. So I think the biggest concerns are the offense that he's coming from. You know, can he translate into an NFL offense and then his age? I think if he was younger coming from an offense like that, showing some of these skills that he has shown because he shows that mobility. I do think he has good arm talent. Um, like, like Barnabas was saying, he doesn't really go through progressions much. It's a lot of one read balls out quick. Um, so, you know, if he had time to sit and learn an offense at the NFL level and learn that type of an offense, I think he could get there because he has come a long way from where he was at when he was at Virginia tech uh, in such in a shorter amount of time here. But given that he's already 24, coming from a gimmicky offense, I don't see it from him. I think a team will take him probably somewhere on day two, just given the tools and everything. But I don't have super high hopes for an NFL success. I think Barnabas makes a good point in that um, is he a one-read quarterback? And that's something that we can check on film, whether or not he's going from progression one, two, three, if he's turning his head, head to, uh, to, to find different or if he is one-read quarterback. He can last go through progressions, on but it's mostly one-read offense. Yeah, I agree with everything Colin and and Barnabas said, and I think the NFL showed us that last year. I've I've said before, I think it's a Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, the only two quarterbacks going day one, and I think Hendon Hooker's probably in that Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis territory next year. Gets drafted in the third round, maybe he's a guy a team goes to at some point. I mean, do you agree with that, Mike? I know you you've kind of you were putting your hand up there, so. Yeah, no, I agree. I just had to put something out there. I like to look at historical trends. Um, not a single quarterback with less than 3,000 passing yards on a season from the FBS level has gone in the first round. And Hendon Hooker hasn't hit that yet. So I think he'll hit it this year. It's close. I think he would have hit it last year, too, if he started the full season. But um, just because that offense is so prolific. 
Well, we will find out in a few months here come April. Colin, Barnabas, Mike, thank you for joining us tonight. Now get out of here. Scram. Get out of here. Matt Bruning, we always check in on the left coast. Normally it's Kevin Coleman, um, but Kevin cannot be with us tonight. Just two games um, that I want to check in on today. Uh, Arizona, number 12, excuse me, number 12, Oregon at or Arizona. Oregon's been hot. I guess we could say they have been hot since they got curb stomped by Georgia earlier in the season. How's it looking in that one? Uh, so it has actually ended, and Oregon won 49-222. Bo Nix, 265 yards through the air, but no touchdowns, no interceptions. Does get three touchdowns on the ground, though. So if you started him in uh, your fantasy lineup, so he's been scoring over 50 points the past couple weeks. He did it for you again. Hudson comes through for you. Uh, Troy Franklin, uh, 38 yards, so he's continuing to be at least somewhat decent, uh, and the running back is still a mess for Oregon. They're, they're splitting the ball between, like, five guys. Arizona side, Jaden Delora, not a bad day, 241 through the air, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, but what I found very interesting was Jonah Coleman, the young freshman, the guy that I talked about all through the spring, got the most carries on this team, 74 yards as well. 8.2 yards of carry looked really good. Your guy, Jacob Cowing, 77 yards of the year. And Tet McMillan, another touchdown again with 48 yards. So he's just continuing to smash through all of those year one zero um, the stats. Tedero McMillan at Arizona. This Arizona offense, is you're going to want to have pieces of it. They are on the rise. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Oregon State at Stanford. I don't know if there's a – is there a single Oregon State player that we – care about other than what uh, daniel martinez damian martinez Damian yeah, martinez he's not even i think damian martinez is definitely a play for the future he's only got one carry today they are at halftime they're losing 7 to 17 they started out the season really well and they've kind of just gone off the rails since losing that tough game to um to usc chance nolan's a guy that i think you can start at times like he has these really high-end games and really bad games but he did not start today it was i don't even know how to say gold gold branson was is the quarterback for oregon state but they're they're not doing anything uh griffin's got 51 yards on the ground it's it's not looking good right now it gets a is bad it was that game. gold branson I'm pretty sure that's how you say his name. I have well, no Ben Ben right. Goldbranson, I believe is how all you right. say it. We're gonna I'm gonna look that one up. Um on Stanford's side, you know, Barnabas brought up Tanner McKee earlier. A lot of people buzz giving him first round draft buzz. He's gotten 171 uh through the air with a touchdown. Filkins, 22 yards, uh, continue to be the lead ball carry there with EJ Smith out and a touchdown as well. And then Ben Yurosek, uh, 50 yards uh through the air. It's again at ah, halftime, but neither one of these offenses is really doing much of anything. All right, Matt, you ready to close out the show? Let's do it. Next week, week seven, games start on Wednesday. You got games Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But then the Saturday slate, Penn State at Michigan. Penn State comes off a bye. You got Nick Singleton and company going into the big house. That's one of the bigger games on, uh, on the slate next week. Yeah, I mean, it's a. I talked about this on Better Sports on Friday, saying this weekend was a white knuckle Saturday with how many great games there are, and they're following it right back up with Week Seven. Um, you mentioned Penn State, Michigan. I mean, that's realistically could be a battle for the Big Ten because whoever wins that matchup likely goes into the matchup against Ohio State undefeated for a chance to knock them off and take over on the East. So I'm, I'm very excited about that matchup. You know, Michigan looked kind of rough for three quarters today, but they yeah. ended up pulling it out and having a big fourth quarter. Going to be a tough game against that Penn State defense. I'm very interested to see what Sean Clifford's able to do against Michigan. 
Penn State 31-10. Uh, that game was closer than the final score would indicate. Kansas, they got their first loss on the season. They go to Oklahoma. Uh, can you see Kansas, a uh, one-loss Kansas team, give uh, hand Oklahoma its fourth straight loss? I think so. I mean, will Dylan Gabriel be back? I don't know, but let's be honest. N Nate Marchese has joined us the past couple weeks. He's told you Dylan Gabriel hasn't looked good even when he was in there healthy. I just think Kansas is the better team. I did not think they would be able to hang with TCU, and they did without Jalen Daniels. Bean looked good, whichever quarterback's in there. I think Leopold's got them playing well. He's got everybody buying in. I expect them to bounce back and beat Oklahoma next week. Uh, uh, yeah, the Oklahoma essentially did not have a quarterback uh, yeah. play, playing today. I mean, I, I don't know how they, they're able to win. Dylan Gabriel did dress, however, and go through yes. warm-ups. Um, Iowa State at Texas. Iowa State hasn't been what I expected, um, but – Texas, we can see if uh, if they'll keep it going um, with Iowa State at home. Yeah, I mean, Texas still has a chance to play for the championship in the Big 12, but they got to keep winning. They need to hope someone's able to beat TCU. This is a tough test for them. Iowa State has still a pretty good defense. Ewers still, I don't think, 100%. His, realistically, it's his fourth game this year, and fourth game in his career as a starter. So, looked good today against an Oklahoma team. But again, I think... It was easy for him to look good in this game because Oklahoma, as we talked about earlier in the show, could not do anything on offense. So Ewers, I think, had a little – he knew he could make some throws, um, and he challenged some throws that he shouldn't have. He got away with a couple in this one. I don't know that he'll be able to do that against Iowa State, so it should be a really good matchup. USD is at Utah. Clemson is at Florida State. Oklahoma State is at TCU. That's a really good one. But, Matthew, the uh, other than Penn State, Michigan – the game that we're going to be paying attention to is Alabama at Tennessee. Even if Bryce Young is back, I'm not sure that Alabama can score with Tennessee. They're going to have to hold this team under 24 points or so, and I'm not sure that they can do it. They're going to have to get to Hunden Hooker. Yeah, it's it's definitely the matchup of the weekend. I will be very curious. I, I do expect Bryce Young to be back. But I also what Tennessee has been a little bit iffy at times too. It took him a little bit time to get going against Pitt, who has a really good defensive line, and we know that Alabama has that as well. So I am curious to see what they're able to do against Tennessee. But I do expect there to be a lot of fireworks in this one. I'm sure a lot of people are rooting for Alabama to lose. I kind of would also like to see it just to, for some parity in in college football. But uh, Hendon Hooker and Tennessee are cooking. If they can get Cedric Tillman back too, we saw what Xavier Worthy and those wide receivers at Texas were able to do uh, against Alabama in week two. I wonder if they'll be able to do the same thing here. We're going we're gonna to be covering it, covering it all. Can't even talk. Covering it all right here on College Fantasy tonight following those games. Toledo quarter, cornerback Quinion Mitchell had four interceptions today. Two of those were pick sixes. Shout out to him. Israel Abanaconda, 36 carries, 320 yards, and six interceptions. Had an amazing performance. Good night, everyone.